This is One Red Shoe, a podcast about obsessions. On this show, we look at music, art and sport from both sides of the equation. We talk to people about the things that they identify with, and we talk to the people who make and do those things. I'm Troy Foster, and this week, everything's alright, because we're talking to Christopher Whitworth, singer and trombonist, about his impressive debut album. We talk about how the album came together, Chris's views on music and creativity, and his experiences setting up his own band, as well as performing in Silent Duck and Boneseed. We also digress for a bit of a chat about creativity and acting. You'll hear me learn about Glenn Miller and find out why most people just say improv. Chris has also given us some free download codes to give away, so pay attention because there really will be a quiz at the end of the show. Okay, let's go meet Chris. Hey Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. And thanks for hooking me up with the CD Baby download of Everything's Alright. Uh, CD Baby is very user-friendly, very easy. I could work my way through it, no problem. Um, I also streamed it on iTunes and I noticed it's in a bunch of other places. Um, where else can people find the album? Uh, you can find it on Google Play, Spotify, uh, not SoundCloud, The uh, what's the other one? Shazam, is it? I think it's Shazam. Uh, Shazam's the one if you're finding out what song you're listening yep, to. you can do that. You can find the song pretty much <laughs> just by listening to it. It'll tell you what song's playing. So it's, awesome. it's over a lot of different ones. Uh, CD Baby pretty much distributes it for me. Oh, okay. So that's the main point of distribution and then they distribute it on for you. Yep, pretty much. So it's all there. So pretty much uh, a mate of mine, he actually uh, put something on YouTube the other day with, with it on there and it came up with all these copyright things. So... <laughs> Oh, that's good. That's good for you. Bad, bad for anybody that's trying to play it on, on YouTube. Oh, they're welcome to. I just think <laughs> I get a few royalties from YouTube. Oh, that's the main thing. <laughs> so, I guess the first question for me is, what is Christopher Whitworth? Um, is it a band? Is it a one-off project? Um, what's, the, what's the deal? Uh, at this point, it's just like more of a solo thing. Uh, so, I started back in... Well, I started back in a ska band actually years ago. Uh, and, you know, I was writing a few songs and some things weren't really happening that I wanted to so I just uh, sort of started writing songs for myself okay. and wasn't introduced I made uh, The Fish first actually so right. that one was written back in 2013 there's a Scar version of that not on the album that's the reggae cover version of my own song is, is that you singing on that version that's on the album? The album version is actually the reggae band I'm in, uh, Bone Seed. So that's actually the three singers in Bone Seed. They okay. were like, "Do you want to sing?" I'm like, "No, nah, this one I want to be like more of a representation of Bone Seed, but a cover of my original song." So we wow. went for that sort of thing, and it was quite different. It was a live recording as well. That's the only one that was live recorded. Cool. Yeah, I wondered about that. I was, I was, I was even listening to it this morning, thinking like it's a totally different vocal style. Yeah. Obviously. Um, but it's di mixed different because it's live. So I was like, oh, maybe it is him singing. Yeah, no, that was quite hard. You've got 10 members in that band. So. Damn. <laughs> oh, man. I'm used to rock bands, like trying to get four people to turn up on time and all in the same place. Actually, where was my original band was a three-piece. So oh, wow. <laughs> and trying to get three people to agree on anything is a nightmare. I think the smallest bands I've been in are six plus. Six so plus. It is hard getting that many people in a room. So, I'll just talk through a few of the tracks on the album first. Yeah. Um, with I Could Fly. So, that's this song hit me like a sledgehammer. So, uh, I got the CD Baby download and 
it, everything says reggae and that's so I'm in a mindset of oh it's burning spear Abyssinians Mali all that sort of mindset and I press go on that song and it's like this almost hardcore guitar riff it's like what the, what's happening <laughs> um but the guitar plugging in at the start and the buzz and everything reminded me of um hail to the thief uh the radiohead album oh, uh, yeah. so are you familiar with that i might have heard it i'm, I'm very <laughs> bad with, i remember songs i'll be like i know that song Names terrible with. I mean, half the time I forgot my own lyrics while writing them. <laughs> People would remember them better than I could. So I know that feeling. I, I get halfway through a song and yeah, no idea. I get to the next verse and go, I don't even know how this one starts. <laughs> uh, uh, but but two plus two equals five is starts with Johnny Greenwood plugging in his guitar and um, it's got this weird sound. But the reason it stands out to me is because it was a huge scandal at the time. Uh, there was a huge scandal at the time about the album got downloaded before it was mixed. So there's a version where there's not, I don't think you hear that effect. I think they put that effect on later. And um, so it always reminds me of that story about That's... Radiohead being upset that every, they weren't upset that everyone downloaded it. They were upset that everybody listened to it before it was finished. That's exactly what we did. We added that effect last, surprisingly. <laughs> Recorded the whole thing and then that was the last bit sort of thing. Right. So, the other standout track for me, straight out of the gate, was Everything's Alright, which is the title track. Yeah. Um, and you were saying before that that was the... Was that the first song that you wrote? The very first song I wrote. So, I think I wrote this one back in 2015. Okay. And it was recorded in 2015 and we hadn't mixed it or mastered it. And at that point, I just went, I want to do an album. I'm doing an album. You know what? Screw it. I'm putting together enough songs for an album and that's what I'm going to do. So, we just held it and left it for years and I kept writing songs and then came back to it. Sorry. So, did you say that, that was, it, it wasn't used by your other band? This wasn't used by uh, my other band. So, ever since The Fish, I've just been writing for myself. But after this album, I sort of decided I want to piece together a band. So, I left uh, the Scar band I was originally in back in 2014. Okay. And I'm in a rock funk band called Silent Dark. That one, complete different genre from this. So, definitely not something to bring to the table there. And, you know, the reggae band, I mean, Bone Seed, also quite a different genre. So, apart yeah. from covering one of the songs, that was about it. Yeah, I, it's interesting. It's an interesting genre mix because a lot of the songs, there's like lots of different vibes in there. There's a, a little bit heavier guitar at times. Um, how would you describe it in terms of genre? Uh, Scar. Scar. Scar music, yep. That's sort of my inspiration. I sort of went for a mix in this album. I didn't really just want to stick to the generic, you know, the Scar beat has that offbeat sort of thing going. Uh, so this one, you know, has its sort of rap hip hop element at one point. And okay, yeah, I yep, hear that. And that's other, uh, what's it? High Flyer. Yep. And then you've got, you know, the heavy one at the beginning, which is uh, I Could Fly. You've got that sort of mellow song. Uh, this song? Yep, this song. This that's song, yeah, that's got... Couldn't uh, even remember the name of that for a second. What did I, I write down? What I th- uh, It's an epically resigned feel. It's got that great thing you get from brass where it's like that. <laughs> yeah, no, that song I'd actually just finished watching. I was like in a bad headspace sort of and I'd watch this show and the ending was just like... It was happy, but it was so sad at the same time. Like it was, okay. it was some anime show. I was like, what? As if it did this to me. I'm like, <laughs> so I just came out and I had this tune in my head and I'm like, that's what I'm going for. I'm like, and I'm going for a more dark sort of song there. I like it because it, it, it's, you know, reggae is often described as sad songs with a happy vibe. Yeah. And this is, um, 
this is a little bit the opposite for me. It's got like a sad vibe to the music, but it's not a it's not a completely downbeat song. It's sort of yeah, like a, it is a bit of a kiss off, I guess. And so you got this song. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Um, all right, you mentioned flying, and there's a couple of songs that mention flying. It's a bit of a theme on the album at times. Um, it's actually so I referenced that into different things. It's actually slight references to every song in each song but they're subtle so i did notice I the did flying notice. thing is you know you've got i could fly uh high flyer you know and then you've also got like birds and the bees the song birds and the bees and then in everything's all right i reference birds and the bees so there's little subtle references just to you know look for but that i just thought it'd be fun to add it in as well i was like you know what? so like easter eggs yeah little easter eggs in the song <laughs> so you just got to kind of find the reference to another song in the song cool is the flying thing is that uh, biographical is that how you actually feel about flying uh it's just more like metaphorical in a way i guess so okay yeah, the metaphorical sort of i could fly you know when you spread your wings you can sort of stand tall feel great about yourself because i guess as you can kind of see the overall theme of this album is like depression in a way sure uh so you know that's the thing people there are people who go to bring you down sort of thing you got to be able to just sort of try and find your way and spread your wings and fly. Awesome. Uh, so it's looking at both sides of it as well. It's like the experience of that, of that emotion, but also yeah. the, the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's a pretty much sort of... <laughs> it's it's interpretive. Like I, I'm bad at explaining it, so I wrote it into songs. <laughs> no, I get it. Um, the other thing I really dug on Everything's Alright It's got a pretty wild guitar solo in there uh, Being a guitarist I'm always on the lookout for that sort of stuff <laughs> uh, Which was why I Could Fly got my attention So is that the same guy playing the guitar on all the songs? Yes So the guy who actually recorded the whole album Did drums, guitar and bass And he recorded the whole album And he did a few uh, backing vocal things in uh, I've forgotten the song name it's the third or fourth track. <laughs> I feel alive. I feel alive. That's the one. Oh yes, yeah. I, yep. I know what you mean. He does a f- yeah few parts in there as well. But no, nah, he's uh, really good at what he does. He's actually got his own business going, uh, Blast Operations, which I try to promote here and there. <laughs> yeah, nice. Uh, yeah, he's really fantastic at what he does. He does lighting, recording. He's pretty much a musical genius at most of the instruments he plays because uh, he plays a lot. Yeah, I mean, all the different parts that you mentioned that he plays on are very strong. Yes, yes. <laughs> So, how do you direct that? Because you're a trombone player. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, you do trombone and vocals on the album? do trombone and vocals on the album. I actually, like, pre-write my music on Sibelius. Okay. Uh, so, you sort of get the basic idea of it, but then we sort of just make it better with real instruments. So, we'll obviously go musically. Because Sibelius doesn't really come across as that live, real sound. It's just got, like, MIDI sort of sounds. Okay. So, then... When we get into the room, we'll play the Sibelius thing through headphones to start off and drums is the first thing always to record sort of thing, get that beat laid down first and then can go from there. But yeah, we're sort of similar on the same page when we go to record it. So it's not too bad. So you you generally compose in Sibelius, map out everything, all the different parts? No, I'm pretty lazy. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I will do a really simple drum line like to a basic and then I'll just be like, make it real because at the end of the day i'm not a drummer i know like beats that i can hear them in my head but writing them down is just a crazy nightmare uh, for <laughs> me i i usually hear things and hum it out onto a, a phone or something and record it and then i come back to it and go yep 
cool. This is sort of what I want more so than what I've written. So you give the guys a rough outline, yeah, um, and then give them a bit of freedom to be able to play within that, yeah. So, so, so for something like the solo on uh, "Everything's All Right," because that's a pretty large chunk of that song, and for me, almost a defining part of it. Um, how, how does that come about? Uh, so that was more. We leave a gap, and I'm like, "All right, I want a guitar solo in this." He's like, "Oh, you sure you don't want a trombone solo?" I'm like, "No, nah, I do trombone solos here and there. I want a guitar solo." Uh, so you have your bass and your, you know, your background sort of stuff set out, but the space left for a solo, and then it's sort of just improved. Right. No, there's nothing written. Like any solos that you go through are usually like, I will never ever write a solo. I'll just always improv it. Same with him. It's just one of those things. You sh- I feel you should never write a solo. Out, otherwise, it's more of a part written into the song more so than a solo. So if I was, you know, once I get a band together and we're playing live, I would hope that the guitarist would do something different with it every time. It'll still be a massive part, but, you know, they'll have their own, bring their own sort of thing to the table. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because I feel the same way. Like with the lead break, if you pre-rehearse it, it sounds, it always feels a little bit stilted to me um, up to a point and then it becomes part of the song. Yes. So, but if you've got like an extended solo, you want to have a bit, something a bit organic. Yeah, uh, So, it gives it. you that feeling of the moment. It's funny, I was, I was read an interview with Richie Blackmore and yep. he was talking about working with orchestras. I think it was Richie Blackmore. And he said that uh, he had heaps of trouble with them because they would say, okay, in this part, there's like 16 bars or whatever for you to do the Richie Blackmore thing. And he's, I guess, with his background with Deep Purple being a bit more freeform jam, he's just kept playing. So he's got a whole <laughs> orchestra sitting there going, is this guy going to stop? <laughs> I've played in an orchestra and yeah, it's not my sort of... <laughs> not your thing? I did it in primary school. It was, you know, for the festival of music, but that's a whole different ball game. It's quite different. Like, you know, you've got different styles of bands, different sort of feel to them. And so how did you get into trombone? Was it through school? Yeah, it was actually grade five, I think. And so I was, what, nine years old or something. And they sort of did a thing. They're like, yeah, is anyone interested in learning an instrument? And I was like, yeah, I'm interested in learning an instrument. So a few of us kind of, you know, said, yeah. So it was like every Monday after lunch or something, we'd go off to Woodville High School and do a specialist music instrument program. But uh, we went there for the first time and all these people came out and played different instrument. And they're like, all right, have a primary instrument, a secondary instrument and like a percussion instrument. So, you know, primary instrument, my uncle played the sax. So I was interested in playing the sax. So I put that down as my primary instrument. And then the second instrument, everyone put down trumpet and, you know, I had down trumpet, but then the trombone came out and I just heard it sound and I just went, why the hell do I want a trumpet down in here? Like, screw that. The trumpet is nothing. The trombone had just this beautiful sound to it. Like, it could be aggressive, but it could also be so delicate and so nice. And I was like, yep, that's the one I want as my secondary. Next thing you know, I find out I'm doing trombone. So I'm like, all right, I'll roll with this. And yeah, I've loved it. Awesome. So, wow. So, it's like defined. Like, yeah. I'm definitely going for this. Yeah. No, the sound was just amazing. Like, the player just kind of sold me on it. And I was like, yep. Whereas the trumpet just had a real attacky sort of sound. It didn't sound like you could be, you know, you can be have nice sounds with a trumpet, but the trumpet had that really rounded sort of sound. I just loved it. And I suppose when you're nine, you're not thinking like, I'm going to be the next Miles Davis or uh, no. Coltrane or whatever. <laughs> it's not defined by the icons of the instrument. Yeah. It's like just straight up what you hear. What I hear. Yeah. And that's sort of what I went with. And I was like, wow, I like that sound. 
Wow, that's interesting. Because I was trying to think of trombone players that I know. And I came up with Antoine Batiste. I don't know if you know who that is. You know who Antoine Batiste is? I feel like I've heard the name. I'm not sure. <laughs> that's Wendell Pierce's character in Treme. Yeah. And that's the only trumpet, uh, the only trombone player I could actually name. And it's fictional. <laughs> Glenn Miller's a real one. Glenn Miller plays trombone. Yeah. I'm being educated today. There you go. No, that was something I used to listen to because, you know, I've been through, I was trained as a jazz musician, so I love jazz. Like, that's the whole improv sort of thing. Right. And to me, I hear things better than I'll pick it up by just reading it and going, you know, sort of a doing sort of person more so than, yeah, you've got to do this, read these instructions and do it. I'll be like, uh, what? But if you just... So, did you learn to read charts? I can read music, yes. Yeah, because uh, you said you're in the orchestra. So I've, yeah, I've played in an orchestra, concert bands, stage bands... All different, a lot of different kinds of bands. I played in a straight cover band, which I didn't enjoy that much. It was paid, but I didn't enjoy it that much. It just wasn't my thing. So I didn't really like the lack of creativity. So, yeah, I was going to say, because like going back to the album, there's a lot of themes of freedom and flying and escape and that sort of thing. So it sounds like you found it too confining having the charts and all that sort of thing. And then the improvisation. Uh, improvisational <laughs> there we go we got it in unison so um that part of it is the creative side and that's the bit that appeals is that fair to say yeah definitely yeah. definitely awesome so glenn miller's obviously one of your influences who else would you say uh well, glenn miller's when i was really young nowadays i probably wouldn't so much you okay know, i recognize songs and i'm like oh wicked cool yeah it's like reminiscing but i reckon in grade eight yeah, year eight. So when I first started high school, uh, there was this guy named John. So he was a grade above me, sort of thing. And he was learning trombone at the time. And yeah, he introduced. He was like, "Oh, listen to these guys. Like these are these are ska bands." And he sent me like four links. And I'm talking dial-up days. <laughs> so I'm sitting there loading three-minute songs, one every hour, sort of thing. And the first one I ever heard was "Take on Me." by Real Big Fish. So, a cover of the AHA take on me, obviously. Yep. But it was so cool. Like, the brass was pumping, you know, and uh, it was so cool. So, then I listened to Mighty Mighty Boston's. Uh, Love the Boston's. Yep, yep. And it was the impression that I get. First song that I heard, Scar, from them as well. Because he sent me four links and, you know, dial up. So, I reckon it took me four hours. A lot of MSN, you know, in the meantime, while waiting for them to load. <laughs> slowly load and... Hopefully the internet doesn't crash. Right. Uh, my my Boston's uh, madness, house of fun. Yep. And I think it was the specials. Yep. I can't remember the song name. Ghost Town, maybe. No, no, it was a different one. Uh, had keyboard and they obviously have keyboard. <laughs> uh, I can't remember. I saw the Boston's in I think it was 1998 on the Vans Warp tour. Wow. And it was amazing. Those guys are properly committed. I would have been five years old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's not say how old I was at the time. Um, but the, yeah, they came out in the full black suits, the full gear. It was fantastic. Um, it was at Gawler Racecourse of all places. Uh, it was stinking hot and they just gave it everything. They just got after it. I just remember standing there thinking, man, those guys are having a crack. But yeah, that song, uh, Impression That I Get, was fantastic. Yeah. And, and it's actually one of the bands that I thought of when I listened to this. Um, in a way, it's not the... Obviously, it's not the same vibe as the Boss Tones because they're very Scar. That Scar beat that you were talking about before with the... Yeah. The, that, um, which is focuses around the guitar. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, uh, I, I read an interview with the singer. I can't remember his name at the moment, but um, and he said that they asked him like, yeah, "How did you invent Scarcore?" Which is an odd attribution to say that they invented it in the first place. But um, he said, "Well, he's, I think he's from, from uh, well, they'd be from Boston, wouldn't they?" <laughs> I assume. I'm not really sure of that. <laughs> but uh, he said that you take my voice and put it over a scar beat and what do you reckon you got? <laughs> <laughs> he does have a very unique voice. Yeah, they're great. I love the boss tones. It's brilliant. Is there anybody else that... Um... Uh, well, then I just have sort of random bits and bobs that I've listened to here. I listen to Triple M because they have the older sort of heavier sort of music, which I like. Okay. Uh, like anyone specifically uh, the... oh, I can't think of any examples <laughs> On the spot Can't think of any examples I was listening to Deep Purple this morning Another Richie Blackmore reference Maybe that's why he's on my mind at the moment Probably <laughs> <laughs> I think all I heard was a lot of chatter on the radio today So I can't think of any songs I was like, why is there no music playing? Like, Where's all the music? Like, I, lo- <laughs> I love the chats sometimes But I need some music here and there as well <laughs> Fair enough um, so you're in a few bands. At, are you in a couple of bands at the moment? Yes. Uh, so two bands uh, because the stuff I do is just currently solo until I fully piece it together. Uh, but I'm in Silent Duck, which is a rock funk band. Uh, we're currently writing a whole load of new songs, which are sounding wicked. Awesome. We literally wrote one on Wednesday and it's pretty much fully formed. We just have to tighten it and get lyrics to it. And I'd say it's almost done. There's... I couldn't believe how well it came out. Like I was like, God damn. Like, uh, <laughs> how many people are in Silent Duck? Six. 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 So that you got a trumpet, trombone, singer, guitarist, bassist, and drums. Wow. I knew there was someone I was missing. And for people that want to look up Silent Duck, they should probably include the word band in their Google string. Probably. And they should probably also be adults because it's quite adult music. Right. <laughs> and be prepared for that. Uh, <laughs> I did lose a Catholic friend once over oh. that band. Yes. <laughs> oh, dear. Wow. Yeah, that was something. They heard it and they're just like, that's like devil's music. I was like, whoa, okay. I'm like, okay. Okay. And then, you know, I've got other friends who are just like, yeah, we went home and we did some adult things to that music because we love that. I was like, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Bounce Your Baby Maker is just one of the song titles. You kind of get the gist from there. It it reminded me when you told me about the name and I looked it up. um, (laughs) It's... uh, Definitely look it up in the Urban Dictionary if you're interested. It put me in the mind of, you know, Frankie goes to Hollywood and uh, relax. <laughs> so, people that are looking for the Easter eggs might have a bit of a clue of what we're alluding to there. Yeah, that is... I'm keen to play with that band again. Our next gig's December, I think, 22nd, if I'm correct. Okay. So, I'm really excited to play with them again, probably. Nice. And the other band's Bone Seed? Bone Seed, which we had it... We were on hiatus... We had one gig and then we went on hiatus again. Uh, one of the guys is up in Alice Springs, our lead singer there. That's one of the 10? One of the 10. So, <laughs> that kind of puts a... I think he's writing music up there and, you know, doing some work and whatnot for now. Uh, but, yeah, I'm really keen to play with Boneseed again because, you know, if you've had a bad week or something, you go to Boneseed, mellow as, and you just get that real relaxed sort of vibe from it. Nice. And, you know, reggae. <laughs> reggae for sure. So, were a few of the members from Boneseed on the album, on the Everything's Alright album? Because they're on the, the live track, obviously. The trumpet player uh, is actually in Boneseed and the album, pretty much. So, Brett, uh, 
he's my key go-to for a trumpet playing. Okay. Uh, pretty much, I went to Fremont with him. So, I've been to like three different music schools. But uh, Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, the last one I went to, I met him and he sort of was the most enthusiastic and kind of took off, you know, because I was only there for like a year and a half or something and then I'd finished school. Uh, but yeah, he was the most enthusiastic and he's coming up as a player and he's actually in quite a few bands himself. Yeah, cool. So what was his name again, sorry? Uh, Brett. Brett. Yeah, so. Yeah, cool. So three schools. So you've had a fair bit of formal music education. Yeah. Um, is that, did you do like a degree in music? I've, I've got a friend that actually uh, did a degree in jazz. I never it's did like... anything past school with music. Uh, it just didn't strike me as fun uh yeah i don't know i feel like with music it's one of those things some people can do it do it do it and do it in a serious teaching sort of manner and they love it that way and that's just not how i i enjoy playing it i enjoy being creative with it but i find a key thing with structural sort of things is that they don't approve of everything i do (laughs) Yeah, it's right, technically, but it's not at the same time. So, you have all your theory side of things and I would be constantly failing theory because I would break all the rules of theory and still make it sound right. And uh, to give an example of that, I was writing a song once and a guitarist I used to be in a band with, he he used to live with me sort of thing and he came into you know my room, saw the Sibelius thing and he's like, that's incorrect like i can see it's incorrect and it had that sort of like off-putting but it sounds worked like it has that clashy sort of tone but it works and i've designed it that way and he tried to change it every way he could in theory wise just one note and every time he played it it didn't sound right all of a sudden you'd lost that because it's very designed for that and he's like i don't know how you've done it but you've literally broken all the rules and made it sound right when it's wrong i'm like there you go. And so theory-wise, you know, I was terrible. I had an ear for it. I could pick anything and go, yep, cool, cool, cool. But the second it came to theory, I was always being told off for doing the wrong thing. But you understood the theory? Uh, I didn't really pay too much attention to okay. it. So, so you would go more with instinct you know, the, and what sounds right. Yeah, because they'd explain it and they'd be like, all right, we're going to use these sort of chords for an improv solo. I'm like, are these sort of notes in the chord progression? And I'd be like... I don't think when I play an improv solo, I just go with it. So the trombone plays me yeah, yeah. <laughs> in that sort of aspect. So, you know, I'll just play it. And then, you know, all of a sudden you get told off. I always pass aced pretty much the uh, practical side of everything. So uh, with the trombone, because you can sort of bend the notes with the with the uh, slidey bitty. So if I make help a mistake. Out, help me out here with a technical word. Uh, slide? Slide. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much it's called a slide. Uh, so, yeah, you can always cheat your way up if you've made a mistake and gone slightly off the note, you know. Uh, That's what I always feel like with a guitar is like if you if you grab the bum note, just start bending. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you'll get, you'll get to one eventually. And in an improv solo, you can always make it sound like you meant to do that sort of thing. That's the thing. Absolutely. Never act as like you messed up just kind of make it work in your favor and you can sometimes make something so off sound right in fact by coming back to those off notes a few more times you can make it fit so well and people are like he meant to do that wow okay and then it becomes the right note because yeah you because you've just kind of gone shoot i've made a mistake stuff it i'll just keep going and add that note a few more times and make it work and people will just think that i deliberately did that yeah it's interesting that the guitarist was so adamant that your song was wrong it's like, I guess you know, I'm probably coming from the same point of view of like, I, if it sounded right, it sounded right. He trained in, he trained in theory. So 
from a theory point of view, technically it was wrong. But the problem with theory is all the rules were meant to be broken. And exactly. I'm pretty sure I heard one or two music teachers even say that. Like, they hated it, that I would go off and do my own thing. But yeah, they at the end of the day, they knew I was good for practical sort of stuff. So they didn't really care too much because they knew I knew what I was doing. And whatever I wrote would still come out sounding decent, even if it was wrong. So Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, wrong's always a subjective point of view, isn't it? It really... I don't know why they added all these theory rules because there are so many <laughs> theory rules that get broken on a daily basis. But if you stuck to purely theory, you would have a very limited amount of music that would actually be... You know. Well, it can be very intimidating as well. To me, it's a, it's almost a throwback to the um, class system of the certain elites and they've got this knowledge and they they hold that knowledge over the people who don't have it and say, well, what you're doing is not legitimate because you're not reflecting this knowledge. Um, whereas, you know, I, I sort of come from the perspective of like, as long as it sounds great, it, it all sounds good. That's it. And, as, you know, if you the trick is listen to a variety of different music as well. Try and get some influences because sometimes you'll hear something and be like, oh, wow, I never even thought of doing something like that over that type of sound. So all of a sudden you realize there's more to it that you can do and you can kind of use that sort of, you know, sometimes people do a completely different chord over a, you know, little bass lick or whatever, and it works, but it's completely different key, and somehow it just works. Like so. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff that um, you listen to the first time and you think, oh, this is broken, this doesn't work, and then you give it a go. Um, you know, going back to Radiohead, I mean, when Radiohead came out with Hail to the Thief, around that time, they were the, you know, they did well probably earlier than that. Um, Amnesiac and those albums, they're putting a lot of people like me onto bands like Square Pusher and um, Ortecra. And you listen to some of Ortecra stuff, and it's like, what is this? <laughs> it's like, this sounds like ball bearings dropping. But then you listen to it more and more and more, and you go, like, of course it's ball bearings dropping. That's what it should sound like. Yeah. It's just the way they've gone for it. And, you know, you've got to come at it a different perspective. Awesome. Well, man, I think we're up to the lightning round. <laughs> <laughs> the one I've heard so much about <laughs> So the lightning round is in 25 words or less Yep Very simple questions So if you're ready Yeah, let's go Favourite band? Real Big Fish Favourite song? <laughs> I have a lot of favourite songs You've got 25 words So you can bend the rules a little bit and name a couple Alright, oh, yeah uh, let's, <laughs> let's say the key ones So uh the Take On Me cover by Real Big Fish. Do love the AHA one as well. Uh, nice. The impression that I get. The key ones I said earlier. Awesome. <laughs> oh, one more. Ah, what's that band? Foo Fighters. There's that new song they did. The Sky is a Neighborhood. Loving that lately. Okay. It's an interesting mix. <laughs> and favorite album? Uh, I don't remember the name of the album. <laughs> it's a Real Big Fish one. I think it's... Oh, I'm sorry. I can't help you with that one. I know a few real big fish songs, but I can't I don't know, remember. Don't it's got beer names. and take on me on it, but they've got two albums with that on it. Uh, All right, I'll look it up and I'll leak it in the show <laughs> notes for people. <laughs> and favorite creative outlet? So you're like a singer, a trombonist. You've got yeah. other interests. So. Uh, I like gaming, movies. Uh, acting is something I want to do. Awesome. Uh, writing a show, actually. Yeah, that's a creative outlet. Me and a mate writing that. Yeah. Do you have a favorite or is it just as long as it's creative? Uh, mix of all different things. I think I need to just keep it fresh sort of thing. Can't keep doing the same thing over and over. 
I'm a bit the same way. It's like favorite creative outlet depends what day we're, we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what's coming up for Christopher Whitworth? Uh, are you planning another album or uh, touring, uh, live shows? Well, currently I'm writing a arranging, I should say, a cover song for, uh, what's it called? I've forgotten the song name. Stolen Paradise. That's the song. Stolen Paradise. Stolen Paradise. That's a who's that by originally? Oh, I've <laughs> uh, forgotten. I'm putting you on the spot. That's okay. Forgotten that as well. Stolen Paradise. So, so that's what you're working on at the moment. A cover version of that. Yeah. And that's working towards Milky Chance. Milky Chance. That's who it's by. Okay. Yeah. I would not have ever guessed that. I've never. What's Milky Chance? I heard it in my cousin's car one time. Went. This is awesome. I like this song. And yeah, I just sort of went. I'm gonna cover it so from glenn miller to milky chance we're learning a lot today lots of new things lots of yeah. new things to check out and you said you've got a show on december 22nd with silent duck silent duck yeah any other shows coming up uh that's all i know of for now uh, i think that's probably going to be our first one we're trying to get a whole load of new songs so we can come back with a fresh but the same feel sort of thing so we you know aren't just repeating old stuff from years ago cool but yeah so excited for that Nice. So there's a bit of work to go into that, obviously, coming up with new songs and yes, new yes. set list. Uh, I think we've got three or four new songs. I mean, I think we played two sort of new songs our last show, but that was nearly half a year ago or something. You know, we haven't played a lot of gigs of late. We've been, you know, struggling getting our band together, but now we're just like, yep, every week. Because that's six people. Yeah. We've, <laughs> we've had just so many things come up and then, you know, sure. rehearsals and, you know, we went a month or two without rehearsal and then you can only come back. And so now we're just like, right, let's get into it. So every week we're just back at rehearsing and hopefully, yeah, soon we should have a whole new set, brand new set list. But yeah. so that's a question I uh, often wonder about is like uh, at any one time, how many songs do you reckon you have in the chamber? Like, like for like for a show, how we're having to relearn some of our older songs as well. That's how long it's been since we <laughs> played them. So there's somewhere we're just like, yeah, we've forgotten this completely. So we have to listen back to old recordings and go, oh yeah, okay. Because I think at our last few shows, which was over the last two years, so we've have not had many shows in two years or three years. I can't remember. We've played pretty much very similar set list with maybe one or two additional song changes, but. Yeah, we're we're relearning our old songs as well as going forward with new songs. So, how many songs do you have in a in a set? Uh probably eight or nine a set, forty minute sort of set. Okay. And then, yeah, we have maybe twenty, you know, somewhere between fifteen twenty songs to work with. I think that's probably the thing that people that don't play in bands and don't play music struggle to understand is that they think once you've written a song, you can always play that song. Yeah. And I, I think we we're talking about it before with lyrics. It's like. I can write a song and tomorrow I've got no idea what the words are. Yeah, so that's why I write it down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Otherwise, I would forget it. I think it took me ages to even memorize my own lyrics. I had to actually finish the recordings and then listen to them on loop before <laughs> I actually... And that's the thing. I always go back, listen to a song and see if I like it afterwards. Cause, and this is before I record it, sorry, I should say. When I write it, I just go, can I come back to this a month later and go, yeah, this sounds cool still. Because I always write something for if I like it, then other people can like it. But if I'm just like writing a song for the sake of it. Do you find after a month that it's usually a pleasant surprise? If I, I leave it? Yeah. Yeah. I love it every time I come back after the songs. I come back and I'm just like, damn, like I wrote this. I'm like, I'm pretty happy with this. Like, I always find that too. Like it's like the, the Paul Valeri quote, a poem is never finished, only abandoned. 
And it's like, that's the point where it got to where I stopped messing around with it. There's and always times where I'm like, I did a good job, but I think I could add more now. I, I could do this with it. I could do, you know, and you can make changes. And that's generally what a band would do over time. You make changes and then you go back to an original recording. You're like, whoa, completely different thing. But yeah, so my aim is obviously to get a band with this music and piece together. I've got a few musicians already lined up, ready to go, but just got, I think I need a bassist and potentially a guitarist. Really not sure about that one. Got to confirm that. Right. You play guitar, right? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I'd go handling that stuff. It's uh... <laughs> it's a learning process. <laughs> one of these things but yeah no i've yeah i've got to double check on things i'm pretty sure i got someone to play trombone as well because i want to do the vocals so you can sing yeah awesome well i think that covers off all of my questions did you have anything else you wanted to add i mental blanked as soon as you said is there anything else you want to add uh (laughs) i've been i've been doing acting classes and the i've discovered that the i don't know like that moment of Zen when your mind goes completely blank, all you have to do is put me into an improv scene and ask me to do something or say something totally blank. I'm not sure that's what they mean by Nirvana, but it's definitely... Do they at least give you a scenario to sort of work with? They're just like improv something. It's like something. Like uh, something is like, oh man, like g- give me a beer or something and let me <laughs> let me get into the mood first. It is it is frightfully opening at t- uh sorry, frightfully open at times. A lot of the time it'll just be like, okay, and there's a person and they're going to be standing in like, we're going to pose them up and they're standing this way and then you have to go in there and come up with something right now. Oh I, wow. I, it's 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 really good actually in in one way because it just makes you just be uh just go yeah. Like whatever the first thing that actually falls into that big empty chamber of space that's happened, it's like, well, I'm going with that because there isn't anything else there right now. It's fun, but it's, yeah. <laughs> the first couple of times, it's a bit, uh, oh, <laughs> a bit shoot, terrifying. Shoot. Yeah, I remember that acting course. That was fun, the improv <laughs> thing. Kept stopping us, me and Aaron, twice. <laughs> Just because I had my hands cut off. I winged it. I was like, uh, you cut my hands off. I got stumps. <laughs> remember that and he's like stop stop i'm like ah. <laughs> we had something man we were going for it <laughs> we were going for it we were improving it was, it was working it was working just let us roll with it but yeah even with the show i feel like a lot of our script will be sort of improvised we're just setting out the story plots with it so i'm pretty keen for that wow cool uh for which we should hopefully have a lot more of when we come back from streaky bay in a month so we're going on holiday in a week and a half for a week and for a week so we should be riding a lot and fishing a lot nice but yeah that's another theme fish and fishing there that's, you that's go. in the album nice yeah. way see how i did that i've brought it all back <laughs> to everything's all right everything's all right which the fish originated before everything's all right and then i've got another song called welcome to the circus somewhere in between both everything's all right and the i fish. did find that on itunes you did find that one yep that one is also around and that one i just really wanted to go to a circus at the time <laughs> I really just wanted to go to the circus and I was really off my face. I was just like, oh man, like, you know, so drunk right now. So I'm like, I really want to go to the circus. And so I just sat there and 
wrote all my lyrics about going to wanting to go to the circus at the same time as being a part of the circus. It, it just got... I was really drunk at the time and I just stuck with those lyrics. I'm like, this sounds cool. I like it. I'm rolling with it. Inspiration can come from anywhere. <laughs> Including being incredibly drunk. <laughs> that can help. Uh, actually, that reminds me of the Keith Richards story for Satisfaction. I don't know if you've ever heard that story. It's one of my It's my, one of my favorite Keith stories. So, he came up with a riff for Satisfaction. Yeah. And I, I'm assuming he'd had a, a few drinks or something, a few other things potentially. <laughs> and uh, he pressed record on the tape and he could, he stayed conscious long enough to play the riff and then he passed out. So, what you had was the opening riff from Satisfaction and then Keith snoring for the rest of the tape. <laughs> it's Brilliant. Not a, it, it's not a riff you'd want to lose. <laughs> There are some riffs where you play them, you record them, you come back to them, you're like, oh my God, I'm glad I did that because if I'd lost that, I would not have been able to write a full song out of it. That's Everything's all right. I'd had the chorus in my head just humming it for like months before I even wrote anything. Wait, I didn't even write anything. That was actually all... I just sort of went in and we just sort of winged it. Really? And yeah. The Ashley, Ashley and I sort of just... I'm like, okay, I've got this sort of as a chorus. Let's work around it and make some verses and make a bridge and let's just go from there. And we just sort of winged it quite a bit there. Wow, that's really interesting because it feels like such a defining statement for the album and just a defining statement generally. Because I like that, you know, because it's got, you know, obviously the double meaning that everything's all right. Yeah. Sort of there's a bit of sarcasm to it at times. and Yeah. Well, there's references to real people and everything in it. So. All right. Yeah. There's pretty much most of the songs have references to sort of real life events in a way, but more subtly. Even the fish. <laughs> Even the fish. Which some people just think is literally a song about a fish. It's how you take it. There was another person who gave me a whole, what they took from it. And I was like, wow, that's deep. I'm like, yep, I like that. <laughs> I think that's one of the, the most pl- uh, pleasurable things about creativity is that once you put it out in the world, then it belongs to the listener. And the it listener does. can put their own interpretation on it, their own spin, and they're not wrong. Because if that's what it means when they hear that... Yeah. So, going going back uh, to your comment about your friend with the guitar, it's like, for him, when he listens to that, he's allowed to think it's wrong. It's yeah. just... Other people might not. Yeah, no. He was well. He was trained differently, and he knew all the theory. So theoretic, in theory, technically, I was wrong. <laughs> but in reality, it worked so well that it broke all the theory rules, and pretty much you had to throw the theory out the window. Nice. Well, I think that's a good that's a good note to end on. Yeah. So thanks heaps for coming in and uh, doing this, Chris. Really appreciate it, man. Me. Yeah. Thank you. No problems anytime. Thanks, man. So was that as educational for you as it was for me? And how closely were you listening? Chris has given us some download codes to give away, so now's your chance. We're giving the first three listeners to answer this question a download code to get everything's all right from CD Baby. The question is, what is Chris's favourite band? Email your answer to oneredshoepod at gmail.com. That's oneredshoepod at gmail.com. And the question again? What is Chris's favourite band? Chris has also just dropped the price on the album to $5. So if you miss out, you can still get a pretty good deal. Check out the show notes on our website, oneredshoepod.com. 
We've included links to Christopher's music and some of the bands he mentioned. You can follow us at One Red Shoe Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And don't forget to suggest any obsessions you want to hear more about. On our next episode, we're planning to tell the origin story of the One Red Shoe. So keep an ear out, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.